Turn in your Bibles today, if you would, to Psalm 23. I've had a couple of things that I've been praying about, but uh, quite frankly, what's been on my heart the last uh, few weeks has been Psalm 23, and I believe the Lord would have me to uh, preach on this uh, today, and you think, wow, this is so basic. Yeah, I know. But it's so basic, we sometimes uh, are missing uh, some of the key points of this in our day-to-day walk. You think, what does this have to do with missions? Well, you might say nothing, and yet uh, you could say everything. Because a part of what we're getting at here is not only the walk with our Lord as our shepherd, and believe me, as you get off into ministry, whether it's here in the States or on a foreign field, even all the more, far away from some of the support people and mechanisms that you often depend on, uh, there's an absolute necessity of knowing that the Lord is your shepherd and he's with you and he's guiding you. And it's not just knowing that truth, but it's knowing the relationship uh, day by day, depending upon him guiding you through trials and through challenges, uh, wisdom to know what to preach, how to counsel, how to help someone in need, how to deal with an issue that you've never heard of or never known before. And yet, as the church planter, as the pastor, as the missionary, uh, you're dependent upon for that. And I would contend it's not your great knowledge, it's not your great college training, uh, it's the Lord guiding you as a shepherd to be a good shepherd, a good under-shepherd that is going to matter in all of this. Yes, this is basic. <laughs> I uh, remember as a child, my grandmother uh, coaxing me, encouraging me to memorize the 23rd Psalm. And uh, I guess I probably didn't care to do it. I wasn't as excited about it. And so uh, what I do remember is she offered to pay me a dollar if I would memorize the 23rd Psalm. And the day came, I got it all memorized, and, and I quoted it for her. And you might have asked me after I got done quoting it, what does that mean? That means I get a dollar. <laughs> and that's about all the more it meant to me at that time. But it has come uh, to mean more to me over the years. Studying it, memorizing it, preaching from it, but being reminded of how central it really is to our walk. And I'll tell you what has uh, drawn it to my attention in recent days. It might seem sort of odd, but I, to me it's uh, special in another way. But if any of you ever heard of Lynn Wood, an attorney? Uh, you probably haven't. Uh, you may have, if I share a little bit of the background. Uh, do you remember uh, Nick Sandman, who was that uh, high school fella? I think it was a Catholic high school, had gone to Washington, and there was a, uh, they were waiting for their ride, and there was an Indian fella came up, and there got to be quite a media kerfluffle over this, and this Nick Sandman was slandered in every which way about being a racist and treating this Indian poorly and so forth, when in fact it was a total setup. He was the one that was ill-treated, but the media... Uh, just slandered this guy horribly. He'd be forever known as this racist uh, white kid that is uh, so terrible, you know. Well, Lynn Wood uh, is the attorney that defended him. And uh, Lynn Wood is a very successful attorney. He argued this case before 
the Supreme Court. He ended up winning this case, and I believe it was before the Supreme Court, but they won the case and it's settled wherever it, it went to. And uh, it's an undisclosed amount of money that CNN and I think several different of the big news agencies uh, are having to pay to Nick Sandman. I mean, he's gonna be a multimillionaire all his life as a kid just having finished high school and going to college because of the ability of this Lynn Wood. Well, Lynn Wood's a successful attorney, but Lynn Wood also uh, is a patriot. And of late, uh, he had spoken up and challenged people about the trying times that we're in and to uh, speak the truth and to stand for your country. And, uh, but boy, there's a lot of people gotten really upset with him and the media is coming after him hard. Uh, he, uh, the law school that he graduated from, at, at one point he uh, gave them a million dollars and they named a building after him. He said he didn't ask for that, but that's what they did. And, and so uh, they now want to take his name off the building because they're ashamed of him and they're embarrassed of him. Uh, some dear friends that he had defended uh, legally in their time of trial uh, have turned on him and they're uh, all upset with him. His family has turned on him. Uh, his family has uh, claimed there's something mentally wrong with him now. And, and this guy's going through the trials. Well, Linwood hasn't always, uh, you know, he did a little bit of research on him. And, oh, okay, he was a Democrat at one. Wow, okay, this is just fake. You know, he's trying to support, the, you know, appear this way, whatever. Uh, but then you realize, no, uh, this guy has had a rough background. Uh, he's been married, I think, at least four times, if not five. Uh, I think at least four divorces. I'm not sure if he's married currently or not. But you keep listening and you find out this man trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior about two and a half years ago. And it appears from various things where I don't know him in great depth, but from what I'm learning, uh, Lynn Wood, I think, is truly saved and learning to speak the truth. And he's constantly pointing uh, people to Scripture in the midst of trying to encourage them in the trying times that our country is going through right now. And one post that my wife and I came across from him, and I think it was actually an interview, he was uh, helping people understand how he was bearing up in the midst of this. And one of the things that he mentioned to me is what struck a chord in my heart, and it just... I, I haven't been able to not think about the 23rd Psalm since, but he made the comment, every night before I go to bed, I recite the 23rd Psalm. And he said, and I found that the Lord being with me and his guidance and his comfort is such a great encouragement that it helps me through this, this trial. And it was just, you know, 23rd Psalm's been around since I was a kid. Almost 60 years ago, I'm 63 now, and I forget how old I was when I memorized it for Grandma. Uh, but it's very easy for it to be pushed aside and put in the back, and it's also easy to know the psalm but not be as focused on the shepherd of the psalm and not being as in tune to the fact he's my shepherd and to be looking to him each day 
A lot of you are going to end up in full-time ministry. One of the things I love about coming to BCM, because many of you have already uh, dealt with that. It may not be that all of you will. God is going to lead in a little different path. You're getting a great Bible college education, but you'll do something else. But I, there's many of you that will end up in full-time ministry. And I want to tell you that you're going to face some trials. You're going to face some challenges. And what's going to get you through is an understanding about the Lord being your shepherd. So with that, this is what I've been meditating on. This is what I've been, it's been on my heart the last several days. And I'd like to challenge you with this for your time now and the trials you face in college. Whatever it is you might be going through, but what you might face in the future to remember this truth about the Lord is my shepherd. Now, let's see what we can do with the 23rd Psalm. Um, I'll likely stumble. I always have. But let me see what we can do. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemy. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd, David said. Let's think a little bit about the shepherd this morning. Shepherd in society is a humble position. Uh, I don't know that I've met anybody that wanted to grow up and be a shepherd. I've met some that were shepherds. But I haven't met people that aspired to that. I'm not putting the job down, but I'm just stating in our society, it's viewed as a rather lowly position, a dirty job. It involves feeding and tending and protecting and loving and caring and rescuing sheep. You find in Scripture that Abel was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac and Jacob and Jacob's sons were shepherds. Moses even was a shepherd for a time. A shepherd's day would involve uh, getting up early in the morning, uh, hiking to find a place of grazing where you could find good grazing for the sheep and find a place where there'd be still water. The running water seemed to agitate and cause fear in the sheep and they didn't like to drink from that. And so if they're going to gain the sustenance, you had to find a place where there was good green grazing as well as still water. And then once you got them there, you had to be diligently watching for the safety of the sheep, ready to repel the attacks of animals, uh, rescuing the one that wanders off. And the one that gets injured, you've got to soothe them. And then at some point later in the day, you'd return them to the fold. You'd count the sheep one by one, getting into that safe spot. You'd cause them to lie down and to rest and then go off to find the one that might be lost. Because it was your responsibility, because you learned to care for these dumb sheep. But it was your responsibility. 
Genesis 48, Jacob referred to God as being a shepherd of his people. David was known as that shepherd king because he was a shepherd boy and there's much that God taught him in those early days, but he became the king. He was a man after God's own heart and known as the shepherd king. Isaiah 40 says that God will feed his flock like a shepherd does. Isaiah 44, even Cyrus, the king of Syria, was chosen to be a shepherd over God's people, an unlikely one, but God chose to use him to accomplish what he wanted in the hearts and lives of his people at that time. Ezekiel 34 says, As a shepherd seeks out his flock, so will I, God says, seek out my sheep. In the New Testament, Jesus is known as a shepherd. He's the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and the chief shepherd. Someone has pointed out that Psalm 22, 23, and 24 together, you find the good shepherd in Psalm 22 who dies, the great shepherd in Psalm 23 who's living, and the chief shepherd, Psalm 24, who's coming. Some background of the 23rd Psalm. You realize it probably is one of the best known passages in all the Bible to Christians and unsaved alike. It's one of the most loved passages in the Bible. There's something very tender about it. Spurgeon called it the pearl of the Psalms. George Knight said it's a favorite of the Jew, the Eastern Orthodox, the Western Protestant, and even the wistful Gnostic. Someone who doesn't know God, doesn't know if there is a God, yet somehow finds great comfort in this Psalm. It comes alive at a wedding as well as a funeral. We just were at a funeral, actually two of them for the same person, two different cities uh, this last week, Friday and Saturday. Calvin Kruger, uh, some of you might have known him as a missionary with Baptist World Mission for about 10 years in South Africa. He was a fellow that uh, had uh, limitations physically due to a brain injury when he was about six years old from radiation. But he had, as a child, not only trusted Christ as his Savior, but had his heart set for the mission field. Whom will I send? Who will go for us? And he answered, here am I, send me. And he never got away from that. And due to the guidance of a loving earthly father and provision of an earthly father, as well as his heavenly father, the day came he was appointed with Baptist World Mission as a missionary, went to South Africa, got set up there and, and served faithfully. He ended up, understandably, I suppose, but uniquely used with a children's ministry at Calvary Baptist Church, Johannesburg, uh, Germiston. He went into the handi a handicapped school nearby, and I understand there were hundreds of children that came to love and know Calvin Kruger. They would scream. They would get excited when Calvin came. And he just loved to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Calvin eventually had to come off the field because of a stroke that he had and there were complications and uh, took a few years, but uh, just this past week, in fact, a week ago today, uh, he went to be with the Lord. Now, his family was for a time at Marquette Manor. His uh, older sister was in our youth group. Calvin was just probably seventh grade when we left and uh, went to uh, Canada as missionaries. But we know the family, and I had the blessing to represent the mission at the funeral and had a part I could have in it. But you know what? Almost as invariably it is, Psalm 23. 
was a passage of scripture read because it comforts. It's read at weddings because it's joyful about the Lord leading uh, you to the one that you love and going to spend the rest of your life with. Psalm of David, it's definitely David's psalm. I like that because my name's David. It means beloved. Nothing else I know, my mom loves me. <laughs> my wife loves me. But most important, my God loves me. Do you know that? He loves you. And he's your shepherd. Some think that this psalm was written in his youth. And that would sort of make sense. I can just imagine David uh, watching the sheep. And he did write songs. And he sang songs. All no one else to hear. But the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord on those uh, nights. And probably even in the days out in the fields. And perhaps he wrote it when he was young. But many believe that he wrote it in his old age. F.B. Meyer said this, that it bears the touch of the man who has learned good by knowing evil and who amid the many varied experiences of human life has fully tested the shepherd graces of the Lord of whom he sings. Haddon Robinson said this, David was a mature man when he wrote this, filled with his share of the conflicting passions and confusing problems that confront any human being. Not only was he the heroic slayer of Goliath, the devoted friend of Jonathan, lover of music, and an able king, but he was also a haggard fugitive, an adulterer, a murderer. As a father who had watched his baby die, and had wept when his ungrateful son Absalom was slain as he led an armed rebellion against his father. David was not left with his only, uh, with, has not left us with only beautiful thoughts, but an honest testimony about God that he learned while living life to the hilt. No doubt he remembered back to the days when he was a shepherd boy when he wrote it. The songs, the prayers, the protection. Probably remembered that lion and bear that God enabled him to defeat in order to protect those sheep that were his responsibility. And he set aside his own life and the risk, risked his life to save the sheep, the dumb sheep. But he learned of the Lord in those days. David had also proven the shepherd through the many trials and the many heartbreaks of life. Perhaps some of you have already had some of those. Perhaps family issues. Perhaps some one that you loved and thought you'd marry and it didn't come to pass and there's a heartache still there. Perhaps it's some of the provision that you uh, need and uh, where is it going to come from? And, and you've experienced uh, the provision and some are waiting for that provision and why someone else gets it and you haven't and you know, there's purposes in all of this, and the Lord is still your shepherd, and he's teaching you and providing in all these ways. The same Jehovah who had guided David through all the storms of life undoubtedly walked by his side through the valley of death and into his glorious eternal presence one day. Some lessons to think about with this psalm. In verse 1, he claimed the Lord as my shepherd. You know, all people are like sheep. We've all 
Isaiah 53, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Do you know that a sheep, <laughs> although we're all like them, a sheep is everything that we don't want to be. And yet we have to admit we are at times. They're dumb, they're stubborn, they're defenseless, though we'd like to think we can take care of ourselves. We're without a sense of direction at times. We're prone to wander. We're slow to recognize danger. We're nervous and uneasy, even though we don't want to show it. We're easily excitable and frightened. Left to themselves, sheep will perish. They have to have a shepherd. And it's no wonder that Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, used that uh, uh, analogy of the sheep he said his heart was moved with compassion toward them. Why? Because they fainted, they were scattered, and they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he wanted to be their shepherd. He really was their shepherd, but they wouldn't recognize him. They wouldn't walk with him. And he was burdened that somebody would come and show them the word of salvation. For David, this relationship was very personal. David, from the time he was young, no doubt would say, the Lord, Jehovah, is my shepherd. Imagine that. The creator God. The God of Israel. The God who just spoke this world into existence and created you. In the midst of this massive world of, what, 8 billion people now, and he knows you personally. And his mind and his eye gets upon you and he cares about you. And David understood that truth. And because of that, this psalm is so beloved because it's a personal psalm. And it speaks somehow to our hearts. But we've got to not forget it and we've got to make it personal day by day. Second thing we ought to notice is there was a confidence uh, that he had that God would meet his every need. Meet the physical needs. The green pastures that are needed to sustain us, the provision of food, the still waters, not just the water, but still waters that could be easily drunk and not uh, cause us to fear, the rest that's needed to lie down and know that you're protected and you're full. It was funny last evening, and I don't, uh, I always try to pray as I'm pillowing my head at night, but last night it just hit me, Lord, thank you for this room. Thank you for the warmth. Thank you for this comfortable bed that I could uh, get some rest and be ready for the next day. Do we realize the Lord provides this rest for us? The nervous nature and stupidity, sometimes sheep won't even lay down. <laughs> and so a loving shepherd would come and sit with them, particularly a lamb, might take the lamb up into his arms and make them lie down. And sometimes the Lord needs to make us, some of you staying up too late, you need to get some rest. But not just the physical needs, the spiritual needs. And we would probably quickly argue those are more important than the physical, but God takes care of the physical, but he restores our soul. Now the idea of that restoring the soul is he's, he's uh, returning us or turning us back 
Now, some think it's speaking of spiritual refreshment, but in reality the word's referring to the idea of turning us back after having wandered. Sometimes willful sheep, I'm told, have to have a leg broken and splinted so that they'll learn not to wander. Sometimes that they, they would put weights on the leg of a sheep so that it's just not worth the trouble <laughs> to wander away. It keeps them close by. A cast sheep, one that's fallen and rolled onto its back, is in great danger because they could, if they can't get up, they would die. Pregnant ewes especially are prone in grave danger if they get uh, caught. And so the shepherd comes quickly to stand them up and get them going again. He leads in the righteous paths, the paths that have been flattened and smooth, the, the paths that are laid out by the commandments of God's word. He leads us to that right place. And he does so for his reputation, for his namesake, his character, his supreme love. Robert Ketchum said this, there is something about this old sinful heart of mine that makes it necessary for somebody with a capital S up in heaven to keep it right. Every day and every hour and every moment I have to have someone living for me and in me who can crucify every unholy thought, every unholy act, and keep me in a place of usableness before a holy God. And that is exactly what we see him doing in Psalm 23. Robert Ketchum is a well-known preacher. But thankfully he's admitting what we don't like to admit. We're prone to go the wrong way. And folks, you need to understand it's not abnormal. It's normal to be pulled in an opposite direction. Don't be afraid to admit to that admitting it and confessing it to the Lord and even being honest about yourself with others is part of what helps keep you humble and keeps you in the right path. This is crucial to understand this. But then there was a consciousness of the Lord's presence and his protection. Verse 4, in the darkest of trials, that valley of the shadow of death, the valley here is not a peaceful green pasture between two distant mountains. But instead, the Old Testament valley is viewed as a ravine or a gorge. It was narrow, dark, damp, uh, usually encased by steep stone walls and virtually inescapable. In the darkest times of life, the Lord's right there with you. There are hard times. Severe illness, sudden attack on health, Serious accident, deadly weather conditions, violent criminal attack, war, terrorist attack even, famine and extreme poverty, struggles within a church you're pastoring, relationships of a family being hurt and destroyed. David testified that he wasn't afraid to walk through life's darkest valleys. Why? Because the Lord was with him. Knowing the presence of the Lord and fellowship with him is crucial in the ministry, it's crucial in the Christian life. But he was comforted by the rod and the staff. That rod is what was used to club off the wild animals or the thieves. It was used as well to count the sheep. He didn't have to fear that rod, he was just being counted by it, but he saw that same rod was what was used as a weapon against the animals that might have hurt the sheep, and that rod brought comfort. He'll defend me with that, he'll care for me with that. The staff, 
longer stick, curved usually on the end, used to help the sheep get out, up out of a hole or a ravine, sometimes used to nudge the sheep when he began to wander a little bit and stray out of the way. Facing the strongest enemies, right in the midst of enemies, the Lord provides. The foreign kings David faced, Saul, who he was supposed to look up to and should have, and, and served well, he did serve well, but Saul, due to jealousy, turned on him. His rebellious son, the one that ought to have respected him highly and refused to do that and attempted to take his throne. All of those enemies, the Lord still, in the times of that, he spreads out a table. We often want to see the enemies just go away. But there's something about being in the presence of them, standing true to the Lord in the midst of them and seeing the Lord provide the table, provide our needs, even when enemies are fighting us, is a crucial part of knowing our Lord and honoring Him. He anoints them with oil, symbol of the Holy Spirit perhaps, oil being applied to an injured sheep, soothing and healing wounds and repelling insects as they graze, but it, that oil ministered to the needs. But then in verse 6, it comforted in life and in death. He'd been through enough in life that he said, surely, certainly, goodness, God's grace, grace that I don't deserve, and mercy, not giving me everything I do deserve, will be following me all through this life and the life to come. Francis Thompson said that God is the hound of heaven, who relentlessly chases us down with his grace and his mercy. He's going to give it to us. And David knew he could depend upon it through life. David experienced enough of life to know that God was good all the time. Battles and false accusations, death of a child, even horrific sin in his own life, adultery and murder. And yet the Lord still cared for him. Don't you find it amazing how that one that had done such terrible things that God still loved him? Wow, that's a comfort to us, is it not? In spite of the things that when we blow it, God still loves us. God still will use like he used David, like he used Peter after he denied him. And we've got to get to know the Lord in the midst of these things. But through all eternity, eternal life would wait and he'd dwell in the presence of the Lord Forever, he was confident of his salvation. Stories told of a Welsh boy, a Welsh shepherd boy. There were two pastors that, in Wales that had gone on a holiday together and were hiking up in the mountains. And while they did, they met a shepherd boy. And they introduced this shepherd boy to the 23rd Psalm, telling him no doubt about the Lord. About a year later, they went hiking together again and in the same area, and they stopped at a home to ask for a drink of milk. And as they were waiting to be served by the gracious host, they'd gotten out a picture remembering the boy that they had, shepherd boy that they had seen the year before, wondering if they might uh, come across him again. And their hostess uh, noticed the picture, and she said, that was my son. He died last winter up in the mountains with the sheep 
a snowstorm had come and he couldn't, he got caught in that. And when we finally found him, he was dead. Strange thing though, she said, <laughs> when we found him, he was clutching his fourth finger. And those pastors <laughs> told her, that's interesting because we taught him that day, the 23rd Psalm, and we did it in part this way. We wanted him to remember the Lord is my shepherd. And they told him, every time you get to that fourth one, pause for a little bit and remember, he's my shepherd, emphasizing that the Lord, Jehovah, is mine. You know, it brings us to the heart of what this is about today. I would imagine all, or most all, if not all, that are here today, you've trusted, you've at least claimed to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you haven't, this would be a wonderful day to truly trust Him. But I realize most of you probably have, but I wonder, are we recognizing and learning to fellowship with the Lord as our personal shepherd, day in and day out, learning to fellowship with him, depend upon him for guidance, learning to listen for his voice through the word of God, through the spirit of God pricking our heart, bringing to memory what the word says, and allowing ourselves to be guided. Are we learning to rejoice, even in the trials, because he's right there. This is going to be okay. The Lord's going to help us in the midst of this. I remember years ago as we were at Marquette and uh, Pastor Van Geldren was the assistant pastor. His dad was the pastor. His mother was alive. You know what her favorite song was? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Mrs. Van knew not only the Lord is her Savior, but she knew day in and day out to depend upon Him. And God greatly blessed her life and used her life in that. And I just want to encourage you today. However you're going to serve the Lord, don't just get the academics. Don't just get the Greek and the Hebrew and the history. you got to get all of that. But in all you're getting, be sure you get this. The Lord is my shepherd. And learn through the trials to depend on him. What trial are you facing right now? Would you yield it to him and let him have his way? Would you return to him? And part of what's been on my heart, I think, these last several days as I've considered our country, and I know we're, I'm just wrapping up with this, but we could very well in our country be facing some severe trials as believers like we've never known in this country. We've read about them, Voice of the Martyrs and others, but there's things changing, and there are those that hate God that are endeavoring to have their influence upon this country. And if they have their way, it's quite clear to all that there will be persecution to believers. And part of what Lynn Wood has challenged us, this young babe in Christ, 
though he's a man probably my age or older, speak the truth. Be fearless. And how has he learned to do that? Every night I recite that psalm. And it's not a ritual for him, you can tell. Now there's a young babe in Christ, two and a half years old, that could teach us all something, and he's been teaching me something by that simple statement. And I pray that the Lord might use this to challenge and encourage your heart today. Let's bow our heads together. We'll close in prayer. I wonder just before I pray, there'd be somebody, as you take a moment and consider this psalm, is there somebody to say, Pastor Kennedy, God spoke into my heart today. I need to remember the Lord as my shepherd. There's a trial I'm going through. There's a struggle. There's a need. And I just need to be resting in the Lord. And I need to be willing to trust him in the midst of these trials so I'm ready for ones to come. There's someone say, God's spoken to my heart today. Here's my hand. Pray for me. God bless you. Several. Praise the Lord. Many today. Oh, may the Lord drive this to our heart and we not forget it as we walk from here. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this wonderful truth. Lord, forgive us for the days we're walking through life not paying any attention to our shepherd. Lord, I pray that you'd teach us to daily be not just in your word, but sensing you in your presence. Not just memorizing words, but having our ears open to the shepherd speaking to us. Make us sensitive and might we walk properly with you through this life. Might we honor you and know the confidence that David knew. We'll thank and praise you for it in Jesus' name.